Disclaimer, I am not a licensed therapist, counselor, or professional broadcaster. The following are stories from my life and personal experiences and are the property of me. There will be profanity, quite a fucking bit of it, so please keep that in mind along with adult topics and themes. Listener discretion is advised. I've always wanted to say that. Hi, and welcome to Here She Comes, Confessions of a Retired Vibrator Seller. I'm your host, Jasmine Aziz. I've been receiving a lot of messages on social media and via email. Some are messages asking me questions about the vibrators, about my story with Lammy, and some are just general inquiries on writing and podcast life. I encourage you to write in with these questions as I plan to tackle them on the podcast and on my blog. My blog, that thing I've completely forgotten about. If you aren't following me on Instagram, please check it out as I will be launching an IGTV series. I'm under Jasmine underscore Aziz on Instagram and I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and of course there's my website, jasmineaziz.com. Thanks to everyone for their positive feedback and support. Now let's get back to the story because things are amping up for me. As you may recall from the last episode, I was getting ready to make my move to Toronto to be with Lammy. It was after I made that colossal leap of faith that things got, well, even weirder, if that's even possible. And believe me, it's only the start. We had only been living together for two weeks. For the most part, it was bliss, or at least the longest streak of time we had gone without fighting. All of my personal belongings had been unpacked, and while the condo he had rented wasn't exactly the style I would have chosen, it had some nice elements that I felt I could make feel homey. The condo was on the 16th floor of a high-rise in Mississauga overlooking stretched-out suburban malls, new developments, and old homes converted into restaurants. On a clear day, you could see water in the distance and a few hawks in the sky. It was a two-bedroom, one-bathroom condo, with a substantial solarium separating the living room from the dining room. Lammy had set up his computer in that room, working there in the early hours before heading off to work at 4 a.m. every day. He had an old sofa and dresser that he moved in already, along with a small CRT television. No coffee table, no dining room table, no bed, and no comfortable chairs. He had been sleeping on the sofa when I showed up. I brought my double bed, futon, dressers, dining room table, and chairs, as well as a full set of dishes and cutlery. I left my beautiful Indian wall hangings from the store in boxes, thinking he may not like seeing them in the condo, as his taste veered on the decidedly dull and boring side. By the time my furniture was out and my boxes were unpacked, his simple, plain condo went from minimalist and dull to cozy and comfortably full. There was a large spare closet in the second smaller bedroom where I stored my products, bags of toys, and display things. He had a few of his own belongings and boxes heavily taped up in the closet that he said he wasn't ready to open, 
so I let them be and just piled my stuff on top of them. We were happy, happy enough. It didn't take long for us to find a comfortable groove. He went to work in the very early morning hours before the sun would rise. I'd get up, kiss him goodbye, and then go back to sleep after he left. Around 8 a.m. or so, I would do a little unpacking, some light cleaning, plan our meal for the night, and then head out to get groceries or whatever household item we still needed. Before he came home, I'd finished off any paperwork for my parties that had to be done and had his evening meal ready at the exact time his key would enter the door. We were a well-oiled machine, driven by the engine of desire I had to keep peace in the house at all times. The bookings from head office came at just the right time as I was already beginning to feel like I had dug myself deep into a groove and feeling a bit restless. My coach had lined up four parties for me. Lammy said he would cover the cost of the rent and hydro, but I insisted on paying a portion of it even if I had no regular source of funds. I expended most of my savings setting up the smaller details of the condo, so the timing of the party was impeccable. I really needed to start generating cash fast. I called my first hostess, Samantha, one morning after Lammy left for work. What do you mean you live 45 minutes from me? I would be halfway to Montreal in that time if I was still in Ottawa, I blurted out into the phone. That's about how long it takes, Jasmine. That's if there's no traffic. That's not that bad. You'll see. I got the details of her location and hung up the phone. My first party in Toronto, and it was in Scarborough. Scarborough. To my little O-Town sensibilities, I only knew the borough from what little news I saw at home, and none of it was good. When Lammy returned that night, I told him about my first booking as we sat at the dining table eating dinner. Lammy, my hostess says it's going to take almost an hour to get to her place if there's no traffic. Where is it? Scarborough. I'm driving you. What? No, don't be silly. I'm driving you. I can drop you off and pick you up when you're done. He made it very clear it wasn't really up for discussion. I didn't want to take him up on the offer because I had a bad habit of talking too long at parties and not getting home until the early hours of the next day. If he had to wake up to come and get me, he would be grumpy and tired for the rest of the weekend. After seeing the intensity of his gaze the third time I tried to convince him I'd be okay, I acquiesced and told him he could drive me there. I knew I really didn't have any other choice. We packed up his sports car and headed out of Mississauga. I think had I done the drive myself, it would have easily taken an extra 30 minutes. With his deft Montreal-style driving, we were at the hostess's apartment building 30 minutes after leaving our own. When I first got to Toronto, I purchased new duffel bags and an upright trolley, the kind you snap open and load a suitcase onto so that you can roll it through the airport. I used a hockey bag to hold the items I put on display. It was too heavy for the trolley, weighing close to 100 pounds. I had become adept at slinging it over one shoulder and then hoisting the other side on my back so it acted more like a massive backpack. The surplus product in the four duffel bags could be stacked and strapped down, making it easy to drag with one hand while holding the lingerie basket in the other. It was a perfected system. Lammy removed the bags from the trunk of his car and watched me stack them onto the rolling apparatus. As one of the guests came rushing out of the building lobby, he kissed me goodbye and asked me to text him when I was close to done so he could come back and get me. 
As he drove off, I lifted the hockey bag onto my back and yanked the trolley over the curb. I heard a large snapping sound and one of the two big wheels collapsed under the weight. My four full bags of products snapped loose and fell to the ground. I can't believe that just happened. I just got this trolley. I can help you. I'm Jenna. I'm Sam's best friend. Wait, I'll text the other girls and they'll come down and help. I could feel Jenna's youthful energy exuding from every part of her being. She had long, dark hair, big, green eyes, and an incredibly disarming smile. She smelled like fresh laundry, coconut, and mint all at once. Several more young girls, all equally fit and beautiful, raced down to the lobby, grabbed my bags, and giggled the entire ride up the elevator. Samantha's apartment building was in the pleasant part of Scarborough. She had a one-bedroom with parquet floors and wide windows. The furniture all looked like it came from Ikea. She had rose-scented candles burning and bread baking in the oven. We started late. I was hyper-anxious about the time, trying my best not to talk too long so they wouldn't have to call Lammy late at night to come and get me. There wasn't enough furniture for the girls to sit on, so several of them were lounging on the floor, sitting on pillows or crammed on top of each other on one small sofa Sam had in her place. I positioned myself in front of the large windows, my display table, a combination of two smaller end tables that Sam put together for me. I'm really excited with the gift you get this month when you spend over $100, I said. It's a make-your-own-porn kit. Sam's guests were just the right age to appreciate the free gift. I opened the box in front of them, showed them the movie script inside, the plastic movie clapper, and the CD of porn music. They were energetic and inquisitive throughout the presentation, but they became the most engaged when I brought up the subject of oral sex. I like to suckle their balls, Jenna said without a hint of shyness. I think they really like that. At least, all the guys I've been with said they did. Jenna, you slut, Samantha said, poking Jenna with the purple penis pencil I had given them. I taught you that. Samantha looked a bit older than Jenna with wild dyed streaks in her hair and a more grounded, though still highly energetic, energy about her. They sat practically entwined with each other, only a foot away from where I was standing. They behaved like Betty and Veronica from the Archie comics, but without the rivalry. Their closeness reminded me of the relationship I had with my married cousin in India. After my father died, I made a trip back to India to scatter his ashes. It was a horrible time, filled with heartbreak, relatives nagging me to get married, and my first complete mental breakdown. Before all the pieces fell to the ground, I decided to take a trip to see Goa, as I'd never been and had heard so much about its restorative nature, sandy beaches, and giant cashews. I needed a time away from everyone, but didn't want to go alone, so my cousin came with me. Everyone warned us that two women traveling together in India simply wasn't safe. I refused to listen. We boarded a train together despite the repeated warnings of family. A government employee shared our bogey, so our section was filled with machine gun toting generals and army personnel. My cousin repeatedly tried to tell me that we couldn't be safer, but I slept with one eye open the entire trip down. We arrived at the station. The hotel organized for a driver to pick us up. A tall, slight-billed man carrying a sign saying, Jasmine, called us over. I heard him say his name was 
Aziz and took it as a sign that I was in the right place to lay down my sorrow and recharge my batteries. That would prove to be the farthest thing from reality. The young man's name was Azim, not Aziz, as I had heard it the first time. He loaded us up in a rickshaw, idly chatting about landmarks we passed, all while asking what brought us to Goa, where we came from, and what we were planning on doing. I told him the first order of business for me was to get return tickets back on the train, as we had only purchased one-way open-ended tickets and I needed to get that sorted out before I could fully relax. Azim offered to take me to the station on his motorcycle once we had checked in. I asked my cousin to join us, but the bike could only take one person. I refused to leave without her, so Azim got his friend to take my cousin on his motorcycle, and the four of us took off on the side roads towards the downtown market to get our tickets sorted out. On the way back, Azim took a detour, separating me from my cousin and driving his motorcycle up the hill to a secluded and abandoned church. I hesitated getting off the bike when Azim parked it under a tree and asked me to join him at the edge of a cliff, looking down on the city. This is where I die, I found myself thinking. This is where I meet my end. My mind was racing, my heart was pounding, and my blood raced with fear and adrenaline. Take me back to the hotel right now, Azim, I insisted. Right now or face international consequences. Azim ignored me and walked toward the cliff. Just look here, madam. Just come. Look. I froze in place, refusing to move, frantically searching the area to find something I could throw at him or use to defend myself. I just wanting you to see the sunset, madam. See, madam. See how beautiful. Azim smiled at me. Gently. Slowly. Without sinister intent or malice. I felt nothing but rage boiling up inside me as I watched the red and orange sun set behind him. I shouted my insistence that he take me back to the hotel and after a few moments of waiting by the cliff, he acquiesced and took me back. My cousin was waiting in our room. Where did you go? She asked me. I've been here for the last two hours waiting. I told her what happened and while I could see that she looked scared, she soothed me by telling me that it was a cultural misunderstanding and that she was sure no harm was meant by Azim. I didn't believe that, and I also didn't sleep that night. Our first morning at the hotel, we went to the compound restaurant to have breakfast, where every staff member there made a point of greeting me especially, taking great pains to make sure that I had everything I needed. My cousin was impressed and lapped up the attention. I'm traveling with a celebrity, she joked. The attention made me nervous and paranoid. I tried to sit by the pool but was harassed every ten minutes by a male staff member who wanted to bring me a drink, a snack, a towel, something. It felt invasive and fake, quickly becoming a hindrance to our vacation. Azim skulked outside our room with several of his buddies in tow. I refused to go for any more rides with him or anyone else from the resort. Only two days into our stay, we were woken up at 3 a.m. by crank calls of someone breathing heavily and asking us rude questions. My nerves were beyond frayed and I was beginning to come unglued from the tension and stress. My cousin did everything she could to squash my fears, but with each ring of the phone, they escalated to the point where I was screaming that we had to get out of the hotel immediately. It was monsoon season 
You couldn't see anything but shadowy figures in the night, the rain creating illusions of monsters that played on my mind in their undistinguished forms. Two hours of phone calls and I had had enough. I gathered up our things and dragged my cousins to the lobby of the hotel where we sat and waited for management to show up at 8 a.m. The front desk attendant was extremely nervous as I paced back and forth. You aren't like a regular daisies, na? he said to me. You're an American, more liberal, na? What is the problem? He was leering at me. I'm Canadian, thank you. I'm not like that. I have the right to feel safe in my room. No, no. Just go back to your room, madam. All is okay, okay? Don't talk to manager, okay? When the manager showed up, my cousin and I presented a united front of indignation and rage. I yelled at him that this was no way to treat a guest in their country. I threatened that I would go to the embassy and report their hotel and staff. He was deeply apologetic and offered to put us up at the much more expensive Holiday Inn in the main part of town, at his own expense. I took him up on his offer and watched my cousin light up as she took in the majesty of a hotel neither of us could ever have been able to afford on our own. We had massages by the ocean. She swam in a pool for the first time in her life and we ate some of the best food I've ever had in India, all charged to the room and the bill of the manager who put us there. And yet, despite all the laughs and lavishness, I couldn't relax the whole time I was there. Everywhere I went, men would grab at me, during walking tours, on the bus going to the tour, at the hotel lobby. You're so popular here, my cousin joked. What the fuck is wrong with the men here? I asked her. It's very complicated, John, very complicated. It really isn't. It's as simple as respect, and these fuckers don't have any. We got drunk the first night in the hotel, and she opened up to me about her life in India, about living with her in-laws in a one-bedroom flat, and about her marriage. I told her that I hadn't had sex, but I did know a thing or two about oral sex. After all, I read a book on it, just like I had about masturbation. The rest was instinct. She wasn't as versed in the subject, so after two black Russians, the drink, not the men, I grabbed a banana from the apology fruit basket left by the hotel manager and carved out the top so it looked like a penis, giving her an impromptu lesson. When she didn't understand what I meant about different suckling techniques, I showed her by putting her thumb in my own mouth. We're sisters, after all, aren't we? She said. Yes, we are, I said. Or does this make us the lesbians? Are you mental? It's just your finger. John, I understand. I know all about the lesbians. What do you mean? Are you trying to tell me something? No, no. I'm just telling you I'm very open-minded. I'm okay with all the sexualities. She passed me another black Russian. It's not a big deal. I don't give a fuck who loves who as long as there is respect. I know, John, I know. I am the only one telling all my friends in my kitty part the same thing. I even kiss my girlfriends all the time, on the mouth. It's nothing, she said. She began to suckle on her thumb and then alternately on mine as if comparing the pressure on both. Know what I've noticed? It's like everyone is more relaxed about that kind of thing here in some ways, and in other ways, they're not. India is not ready to accept the gays here. It's too bad. People should be allowed to love whomever they want. Do you want to marry a woman? I will stitch you an outfit if you do. You're drunk. 
I will make it out of curtains for you, and I'll use the bedsheets too. I can't find a man to marry. You think finding a woman will be easier? Now give me that banana so I can finish giving you a lesson. And I'm going to need two of those apricots also. We mangled all the fruit in the basket, naming each piece after someone we knew, and then either drooling over them or smashing them up in our hands. We laughed until we both passed out. When we finally returned to Bombay, after our first night back, her husband had a strange look in his eye when I came down for breakfast. My cousin had a smile on her face that spread from cheek to cheek. You can always tell people your first teaching job happened here in India, she whispered to me in the small kitchen. The student got an A last night, if you know what I mean. You did it with the kids sleeping right next to you? Are, how do you think I made those two kids? I did it with my in-laws sleeping next to me, stupid. This is India. It's what I have to do. But last night, I did something new, na? Thanks to my smart cousin who shared so much information with me. India isn't ready for you. She grabbed my thumb and suckled it nibbling the nail and then biting down on it with a big grin. It isn't me. India isn't ready for you, my sweet cousin. Looking at Jenna and Samantha, arms entwined, reminding me so much of me and my cousin, suddenly I was the one who wasn't ready for what was about to happen next. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying my podcast, and I really hope you are, please be sure to subscribe and review it as it does help me a lot. You must subscribe, please. You can also reach out to me via social media. I'm on Instagram, as I said earlier, Jasmine underscore Aziz, on Twitter at Jasmine Aziz, and I'm on Facebook. Or email me, Jasmine at JasmineAziz.com. Until next time, remember that the best part of life is love. So be sure to open your heart to it, because here she comes. I'm just a popcorn dreaming, gonna red and back the cut of you up. I'm gonna shiver you, shake and quiver you, shiver you up.